did. If you have your Bible, let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. This is going to be uh, part 4 of my series. The last one for now, I may, I may do some other ones in the future, but maybe not all in a row. Uh, this is Parenting on Purpose 4, Raising Godly Youth. So in the last sermon, I looked at the need for discipline and the different forms of discipline, looked at spanking, looked at creative discipline, other things like that. And uh, listen, for the sake of time, I could have given many, 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 many examples. You can have to hit me up later on. I'll be glad to share some with you that worked and also ones that didn't work. We also looked at the fact that parents need to be united. You need to be one team and not let your kids manipulate you and split you that you need to come together and be in one accord when it comes to discipline and raising your children. Amen? Today, uh, again, like I said, it's going to be a final one for now for this series. And so I'm going to focus on raising godly youth or raising, in the vernacular of today, teens. And so the first thing I'm going to look at is the myth of the teen, being there for youth, and a godly and prepared youth. So I'm going to start with, before we read our text, with the interesting story of three young people. Now, I will apologize for those who heard this in Portsmouth a couple years ago. Don't give away the rest of the story, guys. Don't give it away. Just let everyone else be in suspense, okay, to the end. So, George was born in Northern Virginia in 1732 to a middle-class family. When he was 11 years old, he lost his father. His father died. And even though his peers never thought that he was very bright, he applied himself to his studies. He mastered geometry, trigonometry, and surveying. So think algebra mixed with calculus together. By the time he was 16, he had done all these things. At 17 years old, George had the chance to put his studies to use at his first job. He was the official surveyor of Culpeper County, Culpeper County uh, Virginia. This was not a boy's job. Definitely not a boy of today's job, you could say. It was not office work. For the next three years, George endured hardships of frontier life as he measured and recorded previously unmapped territories. So he's being attacked, possibly, by wild animals. Maybe by natives, maybe by ruffians. Who knows? He's having to endure all this stuff at 17 years old. His measuring tools were heavy logs and chains. He was a man at 17 years old. How many of us even now could say that about our lives? Probably very few. There's another young man. David was born in 1801 near the city of Knoxville, Tennessee. His father was serving in the state militia. At 10 years old, David began a career at sea, serving as a naval cadet on the warship Essex. At 11, he saw his first battle. At age 12, David was given command of a ship that had been captured in battle and was dispatched with a crew to take the vessel and its men back to the United States. On the journey home, the captured British captain took issue with the fact that he had to take orders from a 12-year-old. He threw a fit. He said, I'm going to go below, and I'm going to get my pistols, and I'm going to come back and deal with you. Out of respect for his position, David had allowed him to keep his pistols as they were a sign of office. So David promptly sent him word that if he stepped foot on deck with his pistols, he would be shot and thrown overboard. The captain wisely decided to say below. Clara was born in Oxford, Massachusetts on Christmas Day, 1921. She was the baby of the family with 10 years separating her and the next youngest child. She was a timid child, so terrified of strangers that she was hardly able to speak. Then something happened that would change her life forever. When she was 11, her older brother David, not the previous David, fell from a roof of a barn and was seriously injured. Young Clara was frantic and begged to help care for him. Once in the sick room, Clara surprised everybody by demonstrating all the qualities of an experienced nurse. She learned better than anyone how to make her brother comfortable. And little by little, the doctor allowed her to take care of all, his, all those people that were in his care. And David's recovery took two years the whole time Clara took care of him. 
A year later, at the age of 14, Clara became the nurse for her father's hired man, who had come down with smallpox. And then, to more patients, as the smallpox epidemic spread throughout the Massachusetts village where she lived at. Still shy and timid, her desire to serve others drove her to overcome her fears, so much so that by the age of 17, she was a successful school teacher with over 40 students, some almost as old as she was. Now, these people are famous names that you know. The George was George Washington, General of the Continental Army and the first President of the United States. Admiral David Farragut was the first admiral in the U.S. Navy. He served in the Navy from 1811 to 1868 during three different wars. Lastly, Clara Barton was a nurse during the Civil War and founder of the American Red Cross. These people started these amazing things that they did as youth, as what we would call today teens. But see, they were different because there was something different in them. And the first thing I want to look at is the myth of the teen. First, we're going to read our verse, Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the myth of the teen. Now, I want to give you, again, a, a quick breakdown of what we know as the creature called the teenager. Now, this is a creation of the mid-20th century. Before then, even in our society, there was not a creature called teenager or teen. In fact, the first mention in literature using the term teen was in 1941 by Reader's Digest. See, what it was in our country around 1900, 1920s, uh, before then, most of our country was agriculture in nature. Families owned farms, and so they had a lot of kids. And whatever kids they did have, they were expected to follow, at least for a little while, to help put food on the table, help work on the farm. Also, many families, if they weren't uh, agricultural nature as far as the business of what kept the family going, they owned businesses. They were entrepreneurial. And so the kids would, again, be expected to follow in their parents' footsteps and were, be, were taught as they were brought up a trade as youth how to handle money, how to speak to customers, how to work with, how to do inventory, all the different things depending upon what the business would be. Youth did that. But what happened is there was a change with labor laws where you can't have kids work anymore. Also, mandatory education. See, before then, hey, if a crop had to come in, guys, guess what? Forget school. You want to eat? We got to get this stuff in. No work, no eat. They understood this. And so now, or excuse me, in the ninth, when they started making schooling mandatory and, and kids couldn't work anymore, we moved from an agri agrarian society, an entrepreneurial society, where now how many families in here actually own a business? How many families in here actually are farmers or have ever done that stuff? Probably very few. And so the necessary skills that these young people learned then, we have no clue about. Let's be honest, that's the truth. You know, nowadays, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to extend adolescence to 32 years old. And with some people, I'd have to agree with them. I'm serious. There's a lot of big boys out there sitting in mama's basement in their underwear playing video games. There's some ladies out there who all they want to do is live the party life when they have kids upon kids upon kids and wonder, why is it wrong? Why, why are these horrible little snot-nosed things messing with my life? It's supposed to be carefree life where I can do whatever I want to do. That, that's how young people think. Immature people think. Amen? And so what happened over the decades, the thing that forged a strong identity and person and, 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 and taught skills and worth to young people is gone. It's gone. It's vanished. So, so now we're living in a place where kids are being taught, you can choose where your identity is. 
The problem is this. If you ask a six-year-old what they want to be, they might say a dinosaur or a doctor in the same day. But you're going to let those people decide and, and add things to their body that are artificial that don't function or cut things off, which is butchery? I'm supposed to be teaching this, but this is a sore point with me because it's straight from hell and demonic. It's a trap, and it's a plan, and it's an agenda that is forged in hell. I know some of you guys might be sick of hearing about it. I don't care. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to talk about what is true. I'm not going to get detailed, so if your kids have questions, it's you talk to them age appropriately. Amen? I will say this. If you are having your kids go to a school, and the school says, oh, you feel like you should be um, a boy. Well, well, then you're a boy. When you're really a girl. Or, oh, oh, you feel like you should be a girl when you're really a boy. Then, oh, you're a girl. That's insanity. And I am not riding the crazy train, and neither should you. Because, parents, your job is to defend your children, first and foremost. Not just physically, but from ideas that are birthed in hell. That's intolerant. I don't care. I want to ask you. And, and listen, this is not a sermon being down on youth. I want to make that very clear. But we have to deal with the reality as things are, okay? Things even in our minds and hearts that we've allowed to, to be there and stay there. What does the term teenager evoke in your mind when you hear it? What adjectives, what picture is drawn? Is it lazy? Is it a person who's rebellious? Useless, difficult, delinquent, troubled. I could go on. And I'm not saying all you through that way. But I would be a liar, and we would be liars if we would say that's not what the picture of many of the young people are. Do you want your children to be thought of that way, mom and dad? And if not, what are you doing to change that? What are you doing to make sure that your children are not thought of in that way? What are you pouring into them? Because you should be the one that has the most influence, apart from Jesus, on them. Not the schools. Not a teacher. Not some Weirdo who doesn't even know what their identity is. Not some pervert. Not some social media influencer. God, help us. We need to reject society's lowered expectations of youth, and we need to return to the Bible and get a biblical view of youth and what that means. Because in the Bible, it's not a bad thing. Even when it talks about them being inexperienced or the folly of youth, the majority of things we're talking about youth, other than the folly, and it points out those things, their, their need of being raised, it's something good. It's something that God can use and is powerful, and, that's, and we need to revive that. In, the Jewish, uh, uh, in Jewish culture, even back in the Old Testament, when a boy became 13, when a girl became 13, they were considered adults, young adults, but adults, what, is that, what do I mean by that? They were expected to bear responsibility. Not only that, but these young people looked forward to it. They looked forward to taking part and standing alongside their mother and father and other adults. Why? It brought dignity to their lives. It gave them fulfillment. It gave them a purpose and a drive. You know what's amazing that we don't read about in the Bible? Is, is massive depression among youth. But what do we see nowadays? Anxiety, depression, doubt, don't know what they want to be, torment in mind, you know, not willing to stand for anything, not knowing there's even things to stand for. We don't read about that in the Bible as a social issue. In the Jewish culture, when a boy has a bar mitzvah, that's their 13th birthday, they actually have a phrase. Sounds funny. But it's, today I am a man. They're saying something. Today I am ready 
to be treated. I am ready to bear the weight of responsibility. I am ready to take my part and do what is necessary for others and for my family. Can your 13-year-old say that? Would you trust them with that? Here, son, have the keys of the car. <laughs> Just get a booster seat and some chalk blocks. You'll be all right. Can you imagine 13-year-olds now starting a family, looking, knowing what that means and what is entailed in all of that? Because that's what they were talked about. That's what they were told. Amen? Not this perpetual Peter Pan land of never-never land where you get to be a, a young can do whatever you want. It's a, oh, life's to be enjoyed. There's enjoyment and fulfillment when you do what you're created to do. But we have a society of youth where they're told you can be whatever you want. That's a lie. You get to choose what you want to be, I guess. But if you want to be a lazy bum, you, you, that's not a good thing. You should, like, get that out of their heads really quick. They start telling you things. Oh, I'm just going to live with you forever. Not if you're a man, you are not. You're going to be on the 1830 plane. You turn 18, you got 30 days to leave. Get your luggage ready. Save up for it. See, young people back then were raised to be mature. They looked forward to it. Even though it did mean that the days of fun-filled adventure would be gone. Amen? It says in Lamentations 3.27, it is good for a man, a man to bear the yoke in his youth. This is speaking about that it's good for young men, young people to be self-disciplined, especially during the hard times. You know, sometimes I think that the easy times that, that people have gone through has made weak people. People that can't bear under pressure. People that don't, oh, responsibility is so hard and so mean. I ask you to clean your room. That's it. What's so hard about that? <laughs> Me. And the 13 saying that crazy stuff. That's some issues there. There's some examples in the Bible, and there's more. Those of you who read the Bible a lot, you could name more than this. I'm just going to give you some out there. What about Joseph? Samuel? David? Josiah? Jeremiah? John the Baptist? Joseph? Mary? The 12 disciples? John Mark? Timothy? Jesus himself? All these were young people. They served God. They have a good testimony they learn to love God and the things that God loved as young people. They learn to do the right thing. They were put in difficult situations. I mean, how fair is it that Joseph and Mary had to be put in the situation to deal with what they had to deal with? This is Jesus' parents. And yet they did, and God didn't apologize or shy away from it. Listen, I want to say this. You can't have fun serving Jesus, young folks. Use the energy that you have for Him. So many people say, oh, well, I'll get saved when I get old. You know, 35. Then I'll get serious with Jesus. How many people you said that? You thought that, right? Some of you are still waiting to get to that point before you get serious. Why not give your youth to serving God? Because look, that's just a starting point. It says in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't start thinking about God when you hit 35, when you're 18. Why not now? Why don't, instead of trying to avoid being uh, faithful to God and getting serious about the Bible, why not choose now to do it? And listen, if you are a young person, I applaud you. I do. I appreciate you. I thank you because you are, should Jesus tarry, the next generation. The fact that you're not wasting your youth on silly things is good. The fact that you want to take your side along us, other adults, is a good thing. And I appreciate that. Amen? The second thing I want to look, look at 
is being there for youth. Now, there is a misunderstanding. Yes, in that in some ways, the truth is this, that being a young man or woman in the 12th, 21st century is easier than ever before. Huh? Let me explain before you start thinking that's not right. How easy has technology made life? Huh? I didn't grow up with a microwave in my house. Yes, I am that old. When we wanted to cook something that wasn't in a toaster, we had to use this device called a stove or an oven. Yeah. Sometimes when it was really cold, if it was a gas range, you had to light the pilot. That was fun. Yeah. I see some of you guys don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. You really are old. Technology has made life easier. I remember I was helping Eric uh, Dennis study for something one time, and I said, where's your books? He looked at me like I was crazy. I said, we don't have books. I said, what do you use? The Chromebook thing. I said, what? Everything you do is on this? Because yeah. I was shocked. I was amazed. I said, so what if you don't have internet? Huh? Because that's what it's mandating now, right? That you have to find an internet connection, which is kind of crazy to me. That's a whole other issue. Just think, most youth don't have to do backbreaking labor just to survive. They don't have to be taken out of school and say, hey, for the next three months, you leave school at 12 because uh, we get to plow the field. We get to get the crop in. We have to plant. We have to do all these things. You have to work. We have to make some money. We have to survive. Amen? Now, there are other aspects where it's harder than ever before. There's peer pressure now like never before. Amen? The curse of social media and the Internet. Now, listen, I'm not saying it's all bad, but just like every tool, hell has used it in the worst ways possible. And it's targeted against our youth. The media industrial complex seeks their souls. Seeks to take them to hell. That's the truth. But it's a wonderful source of entertainment and fun. Yes. But guess what? If I'm the devil and I want you to go to hell, I'm not going to tell you my plan. I'm going to give you the candy bar. I'm going to give you what your little sinful heart desires that is so pleasurable that you will sell your soul for it. That's what I would do. And that's what's being done. He's not going to say, oh, this is going to curse you, cause you to be possibly demon-possessed, make your life miserable after you've had all that fun, and you will never know what truth is or what a lie is. That's how messed up you're going to be. The devil's never going to say that. But that's many times what happens. You know, what's sad is our kids, as I said, they're fraught with fighting depression and anxiety with who, trying to find out who they are, who, they are who, they, who God wants them to be. You know, one of the, the biggest things, I was, I was speaking with some other people that have worked with, with youth, and one of the things that I found unusual, I never even thought of this, is our children, our youth, don't just fight not to give in to peer pressure, but they, they, they feel condemned when they don't but inside they want to. Inside they want to give in to this thing that they know is wrong and they feel, I mean, here does the devil so devious. He says, I'm going to tempt you to give in. And then when you don't give in, but I can kind of sense by your body language, the way you talk, the, the way you look, that you want it to anyways, I'm going to condemn you that anyways. How evil is that? Our kids, our youth have to fight that. And then if they do give in, oh, look out. It's party time in hell. The devil assaults their minds, their emotions, and he does so harder when they're younger because he is gambling on the fact that if he can get them while they're young, if he can entrap them then, he might have them forever. 
If he can damage their mind, their emotion, and capture their heart and twist them, that he's got them. That's what he's banking on. Now, we know that God can do miracles, that Holy Spirit can intervene, but we can't wait until they're adults. We can't wait. How many people have thought and said, because of the the pressure and stress that you don't want to put on yourself, well, I'm just going to let them make their own decision. I'm not going to give them any information and data or uh, uh, try to force their hand. Then you are setting your kids up for the trap. He's got spiritual punji sticks. He's got a spiritual tiger trap ready for them to step into that's going to pierce their lives. And it will affect them into their, their, their adult years. It's up to us to help them and be there for our youth. That means that we have to encourage our youth. That means praise them. Don't just lodge criticism on them. Be properly merciful. I'm not talking about greasy grace, okay? But show them a proper measure of grace because they need it. Listen, girls especially, I don't know if you've read the newspaper or read some of the studies I've read. It's depressing just to read these things. My heart goes out to them. I have a a daughter, my my princess, Samantha. And, And I wonder as I was studying for this, did she go through this thing to the same extent? that I'm reading about, read an article, girls suffer depression so much that it has risen. I believe the, the statistic was 130% in 10 years to the point where they're considering suicide because of peer pressure on social media, what these mean girls say about how they look, how they should be, anything that could be a criticism they lodge against them. And they say evil words. And then you think, oh, when they get home from school, they're okay. But then if they get on social media, guess what? Now it's you. How many youth have killed themselves because of bullying on social media? And you can try to tell them to, to grow a thicker skin. But you know what? That's not really going to help a whole lot. Yes, they do. But you have to be there for them and understand that these are some of the things they're dealing with. Girls that are pressured to look and act a certain way, and most of it is not godly at all. Go look at TikTok. No, don't go look at TikTok. Go read about an article about the foul things on TikTok. 12-year-old girls doing a hoochie mama dance, exposing themselves, meeting perverts on devices and sending them pictures and intimate details. And some of them that do, they don't come back alive. Oh, it's just fun stuff. It's okay. No, it's not. You need to be there for your youth. What about boys? Boys also are being beaten down for a society that wants to effeminate them. Make them sensitive little things. Now listen, I'm not talking about being all macho and hard and and all they, they just grunt and that's it. That's not it. I'm not talking about that. Okay? But I'm also not talking about these little dudes that want to wear a tutu and do ballet have a dolly. If you say, you look at them hard, they go, oh, you hurt my feelings. I'm not talking about that. But listen, what about boys who want to be men? Who want to, when they see a challenge, they face, you know what, you know what most boys, most boys are, I'll tell you, this is just a, 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 a word picture. And all you boys, I know you've done this in your mind. Some of you have done it physically because I saw you. Yeah, I caught you. They go through a door like that back there, and they see, thank you. They slap it. Why? It's a challenge. They want to see if they can do it. Now, boys that are younger than that, don't do that after their service. Don't, don't. Go home and do it if mom and dad lets you do it at your door there, but don't do it there. You will get a ticket if mom and dad don't catch you. I'm just using that to illustrate that God puts something in boys to, that rises to a challenge. And that is being beaten out of them. Oh, just sit here and be quiet. This is, this is the picture. This is the idea of a book. If you have any kind of action and, and you, you can't just sit there and be quiet, we're just going to drug you until you turn into a girl. Either mentally, emotionally, or even what they think is going to be a girl physically. And what happens is they're, 
erasing the place in society that boys and men have. I'm going to show the YouTube some toxic masculinity pretty soon in this sermon. And I don't give a care. Because that's a lie from hell. Why does the devil target that? Because God made men to be conquerors. Conquerors over evil through Jesus Christ. To do things, to do exploits, to rise to the challenge. Not whimper and go, I can't do that. That's too hard. Let me help you out, mom and dad. You need to insist that your kids, especially boys, don't say that. That should be erased from their vocabulary. Tell them, do you at home? Oh, it's too hard. I can't do that. Have you even tried? Well, no, but it's too hard. You're yelling at me. Suck it up, buttercup. Told you I was going to get toxic masculinity here. So what happens is, boys don't, there, there's nothing in our society that says, today you are a man. Right? When I was growing up, know what it was? It was something foul and ungodly. You boys know what I'm talking about. You men know what I'm talking about, right? The things you go and brag about that you did on Saturday night on a date. Thinking that makes you a man. No, because dogs can do that too. And dogs are not men. You know, I'm just, that's as far as I'm going to go with that. But there's nothing in our society that says, you're a man. You have value. In fact, they're trying to erase men and even women now, especially mothers. Our youth deal with anxiety and fear because think of the things that had to deal with the lies. COVID. Everyone's going to die. Right? You, someone sneezes and coughs. Oh, no. The plague. You know the Black Plague wiped out more people than COVID did? Schools that are like jungles, they fear for their physical safety. You can't even defend yourself or they get in trouble now. Substance abuse, and not even to mention the ungodly atmosphere that is fomented there and not just by some students. And the biggest problem is this. They come home with all these pressures and maybe in homes there's, there's a root problem and that root problem is this. They don't feel like they can talk to their parents. They don't feel that they communicate to their mom and dad. They don't feel that their parents listen to them. Amen? They don't even know how to express that their parents don't listen to them. Because let's be honest with you, we immediately think that that's arguing with us and we shut them down. Uh, listen, I've been guilty of it myself. Had to learn how to listen. Amen? I'll be honest, I didn't do it real good sometimes. I had to learn. There's some regrets I have. If I had the Wayback Machine, I would hop in that. I would have been hopped in it already and changed some stuff. Mistakes I made. We can talk about the father, the, 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 the blight of fatherlessness that has led to the destruction of the traditional family. Here's a terrifying stat. 70% of African American or black homes have no fathers in them. And dad's not even involved in the kids' lives. Don't even know dad. 50% in white homes. 25% in Hispanic homes. Here's the terrifying thing. Because we just kind of expect this. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever, and kind of shrug. That's terrifying when you consider that after the Civil War, you know, where slaves were forced to be separated from their families, that after the Civil War and during Jim Crow period, that the percentage of fatherless homes for black families, 25%. Go check, go check out. Go check the stat out. That is the truth. 70%. But we expect, oh, the government will take care of it. Oh, they'll be okay. No, it isn't. Some of you are products of that, and this is not an insult to you at all. My heart goes out to you. I had a dad. I can remember the devastation that I felt when my parents got divorced and I, divorced and I was 16. I used to think I had such security. And, and in my heart of hearts, and this is going to sound wicked, but I was a heathen sinner. I would hear about other friends whose parents would get divorced. And in my heart of hearts, it was almost like a pride. Because I had a security there that, you know what? My parents won't. That's not my family. Your family's messed up, maybe, but that's not my family. And then it happens to us. And it wrecked my world. 
already did not have great godly parents. It just got worse after that. I, I thought, okay, I can only trust myself. I felt I had no one to talk to. Diane could tell you, she was a student in high school. No one in my sphere of influence knew anything was going on in my life. Not even my parents. I didn't feel I had a platform to even speak to them. Listen, youth need their fathers and mothers, even if they act like they don't. They do. Sometimes they're pushing away you away is their cry for help. Amen? What happens with fatherlessness and, and children that feel rejected is a whole bevy of problems for youth and societal ills. Anything from mental and emotional issues, health issues, crime, negative economic impact, and so on. I could go on and on and on, probably for weeks with all the negative uh, impact that that has in families' lives and the life of youth that, again, continues in their mind and their heart, even in their health, into adulthood. What about the stress of your body going through changes and all that entails? What about zits? Listen, we knew, knew, there's this one kid. Oh, he was ugly before the zits. I, I'm just being honest with you. He had a spirit of ugly. He looked like a human toad without the warts. He, I, again, I felt bad for him. He rode my bus. But then when he had a horrible breakout of acne, he had to look at his face every day in the mirror. And you know how cruel kids are. Hey, pizza face, how are you doing? Yeah. I heard some pretty bad things. I get, look, I got, I got called names that I didn't care because I just kind of developed a heart exterior when I was a kid. But that dude, he lived with that. And I wonder what it did to him later on. That happens, you know? What about dealing with boundless, unfocused, purposeless energy that you feel as a young, purpose, a young person? And you don't know what to devote yourself to. You ever gone through that struggle? And so, again, we need to be there for our children. And what we need to do is we need to win our children's hearts. We need to win the heart of our youth. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The comment, a commentator says this, Fathers provoke their children and discourage them by saying one thing and doing another. In other words, you're a fake, Dad. And you see it. By always blaming them and never praising them. By being inconsistent and unfair in discipline. By showing favoritism in the home. By making promises and not keeping them. By making light of problems that to them are very important. Why don't you just get over it? Maybe they don't know how. Because you haven't taught them. You haven't shared your life experience. You haven't told them what you had to go through. So to, to them... You've never had problems. Especially, listen, if you had kids after you got saved, they don't know you as a sinner, do they? Today, you might give a testimony, but to them, it's like, that's, that's not really them. Now, I'm not saying you just kind of vomit all the bad stuff of your sinful life to them, because don't do that. But you can have some compassion on them and say, listen, I know what it's like. When I was your age, I went through this thing. And not saying that my thing was harder than yours, but so that you can have compassion on them and they can understand, oh my goodness, my parents are real people. Maybe I can trust them. Maybe they really do know what's going on and, and I could, they can help me. Amen? Listen, Christian parents, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit so we can be sensitive to the needs and problems of our children. We, that's, that's one good reason to pray. It really is. So you can win your child's heart. So it's crucial. It's not a side issue, okay? Listen, listen. It is not a side issue. We have to foster a close relationship with our youth. In other words, make time to listen to them individually. That means you're not going to get to do what you want to do after you get off work. Are your kids worth it? Are your, is your youth worth it? Are they worth you investing yourself? 
They need to have a sense that they are being heard and that they matter. So listen, that means that you have to plan a time to speak to them individually and let them talk without interrupting them. Everything in you is going to want to. Everything in you is going to want to correct the things you're saying that aren't true and that aren't real. And you have to rein your tongue in. They need to have the freedom and liberty to say anything, no matter how shocking it is, to you without you losing it. Without you instantly snapping and, oh, I'm going to Can you do that? Can you love them enough to do that? I'm not saying not dealing with things later on, but you need to have a space where they have a sense that what they say matters and that you do love and care about them. Don't shut them down just right away. Don't criticize them. Don't let your body language say that that's what you're doing. Right? Because we can listen real good, but our eyes and our body language and our facial expression says, you're nuts. Why am I doing this? You're wrong. 80% of communication is body language, not verbal. So you have to have some self-discipline. You know, many times youth, they, they say, I get spoken at, but I'm not spoken with. Is that your children? You're going to hear some things that horrify you that distress you, that even hurt you? Are you man enough and woman enough to do that, to make time and let them talk while you listen? And when you do, when it does come time to talk to them, maybe you do it with some compassion. Maybe instead of reeling out commentary and whipping out a Bible verse to to set them straight right away, ask them questions. Think of some questions that can lead to a deeper conversation, that can lead to them sharing their heart and drawing them in, where you can maybe understand them. Amen? I'm not saying excuse sin. Don't get me wrong. Again, there's a time and place to deal with that kind of stuff. But you're trying to foster and establish a real trust, not a fake one. Now let me say this, and this is mostly to parents, but, but young folks... Give your parents a chance. Let them try. They may have failed horribly before. Can you forgive them and give them a chance? Maybe they're trying to mend their ways. Maybe they have been in just as much agony as you, but you just didn't see it. And they've prayed and asked God. And maybe, who who knows, this is partially an answer to some of that prayer. If you feel at a loss for how to deal with them. Listen, in my life, there was seven years of darkness that I never want to go back to. Part of it was my kids, part of it was me, mostly me. I never want to go back to that time. Amen? Never. If I could, I would redo it, I would erase it, I'd go back in the way back machine. And many of the things I'm sharing with you are the mistakes I made. Don't make my mistakes. They need to be able to speak to you so that they can come to you with anything, everything, without fear of rejection without fear of ostracization. When you speak to them, when, 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 when you do speak to them and they bring up startling things, don't say what you want to say at that moment. Amen? Reign in your tongue. Think, get revelation, get some wisdom. Speak what they need you to speak, not what you want to. Have some wisdom. Get wisdom from God. Don't punish them from being honest. Let them articulate things. Because that's the biggest thing is they want to explain. They want to say what they want to say. And we cut them off because we have better things to do. Well, you know what you're just saying to your children when you do that? That they're not important. Or they're not as important as whatever the thing is you got to do. Now, I will say this. There is a balance between ministry and family. Pastor uh, uh, Dion Howard did an outstanding sermon several years ago, ago about balancing marriage and ministry. So, but you don't put your family in the altar of ministry. The same token, you don't raise your family to be an idol above God. There is a balance there, all right? And so 
young people do need to understand. And that's why I said, Mom and Dad, you need to plan this time. You need to plan this time. You can arrange a schedule to make it happen if you really care. Make your home and your family a sanctuary, just like the churches. You know, some youth, the only sanctuary they feel is when they come here. This is the painful truth, Mom and Dad. When they come home from the war zone at school, if it is a bad school, they don't feel peace at home. It's just another battle. It's just another battlefield. And yet when they come here, they feel peace. When they go to AIM, they feel peace. See, that's something we don't, we don't want to hear this, do we? But we need to hear this. And the only way you're going to find out if that's how your kids are, are feeling or sensing or thinking is by you talking and having that hard conversation with them. Letting them have that conversation with you. The home should be a safe place, an encouraging place, a peaceful place where you as parents, you build up the spirit of God in their home by your example. Make your home a godly home. The words you speak have a big, big impact in building that up or tearing that down. Over the years, and I'm not, please understand, I'm not uh, tooting my wife and, and my horn by this. In fact, it kind of shocked us and took us by surprise. Over the years, there's been a lot of people that have come to our house and stuff like that. There's times where we had all five grandkids when they were younger, and it was like we thought it was chaos and craziness. We had neighbors whose mom, single mom, many, baby mama of many kids, all right, that whole culture thing, she's being fake, smoking dope, and telling the kids not to, and they know she's doing it. All this crazy stuff going on. They come to our house with our crazy grandkids, you know, when they were younger, just doing that, and said this, both of them, brother and sister, your home is so peaceful, we love coming here. We're, my wife and I look at each other like, here? You see my grandkids? I love them, but they have some energy, man. And five at once is, woo! I think we had them for three weeks one time. It was, it was busy. Other times, even here, so people have done this over and over again. Why? My wife, I get it. Look, I attribute to her. She strives so hard over the years to make our house a home and a sanctuary to anyone, but especially our family. Listen, pray for and with your children and speak godly things. Speak those things that are not as if they were. Faith, in a, in a real sense, not fake sense. You know, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, all that junk. Share your genuine faith with your kids and even the struggles you have with that faith. They need to know that. Sometimes we have to protect them from themselves and from other things. We can express our concerns and struggles, but they need to see you're real. Not, not a fake thing. They need to see that you're real. Listen, I cannot tell you how many, and it, it always happens after they're adults, and they rebel, many of them. Over and over again, they come and they tell me, well, I'm not serving God because of my parents. And we'd say, well, what about all the other adults that, you know, we start naming names. These people, these people. Oh, well, they're different. They're not like my parents. That's horrible. And you know what? I couldn't defend their parents. Because what the kid said, even though the kid was not saved, not right and rebellious, they were right. That should not be spoken of, not in the house of God. Amen? Not if you claim being a Christian for many years. Should not be that way. Last thing I want to look at is raising a godly and prepared youth. So to do this, there's going to be two facets of it. And again, for the sake of time, I have to blast through this. So if you have questions, get with me, get with other people who have parents of, of youth that have, uh, or older people, uh, what have you. So there's some practical skills that parents need to teach the youth. Or get someone who knows how to do those skills to teach the youth if you don't have them yourself. You might want to learn these things. Okay, ready? There's going to be some shocker kind of stuff. Personal hygiene. Especially boys. Bathe regularly. Not one Saturday a month. Young men, if you have like a lot of people saying you stink, you stink! Go into the place 
in your house that has the water that comes out. That's called a shower. The water comes out of it. It's not rain. It's, it's a shower. There's things in there called soap and shampoo. They're meant to be put on your body every time you take a shower. And then you rub them in, and then you rinse off. Do that first before you dry off, because otherwise it's weird. I had boys. Yes. They think the stink is somehow manlyhood. No, no, it is a sign you're getting older, but bathe. Use deodorant. Brush your teeth. Comb your hair. Teach them how to wash and care for clothes for themselves. Because otherwise, you'd be like me, join the army, and all your whites are gray or pink. <laughs> Didn't learn it. Just, and I was lazy, too. So guess what? BDUs, whites, they, ah, they all can go in one thing. How'd this happen? This was white when I put it. Yeah, didn't, didn't know that. Didn't learn that. Teach them how to iron. Fold clothes. How about some simple sewing? Teach them that if your sock has a bunch of holes in it, don't keep wearing it. It's not cool to show five toes through your sock. I know, I'm exaggerating. No one does that. Teach them how to handle finances. How to save money. How to budget. How to avoid debt. Because you know why? The schools aren't teaching them this. And so what happens is these kids, if they go to college, you know what the first thing they see many times in college, usually where the books are at, is multiple tables with people who want to get them into debt by giving them a credit card. And they don't know what 29% interest rate is, or 36, or whatever it is nowadays. And so here it is, they start out their adult life in debt, thinking that, I'm like my mom and dad, just charge it, and charge it, and charge it, and now they're slaves. Because the Bible says you're a slave to the lender, instead of being free. Teach them manners. Table manners. Like, don't chew with your mouth open. Don't talk food with food in your mouth. Okay? Don't blow bubbles in the drink. Etc. Don't wipe your hands on your pants or your shirt or your sibling's pants or shirt. <laughs> How about, gentlemen, you open the doors for females, starting with your mom and sisters. And you wait for them to go through first. How to greet and speak to people, especially adults. In other words, you give them a firm handshake. You look at them in the eye. You use your words. That shrugging is not, and nodding and just, mm, mm. That's, not, that's not speech. That's not communication in a good way. That's very rude. How to cook beyond the microwave. How about a work ethic? Personal responsibility, like clean your room. Clean the things in your room. Clean up after yourself when you make a mess. Right after you make the mess. Without being told to. How about chores? You know, chores aren't punishment. You, you have chores assigned because you're part of the family. You want to be part of the family, you do the chores. You enjoy all the stuff this family provides, you do chores because you're part of the family. If you want, give them a reward for a job well done. And give them words of affirmation and praise. Teach them how to be diligent. In other words, work smarter and harder. You can do both. To take pride in a job well done. To do it right the first time, not the tenth time. What happens when you instill these in the youth is it counteracts that innate selfishness that will manifest when they are young. It undergirds the fact that, listen, they are not the most important person in the world. Amen? So mentor them in being a servant to their family. Because, listen, here's the question. What will your young people become? Luke 1.66 says this, And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. This is about John the Baptist's unique birth. 
They were saying, man, with all this stuff going on, what kind of kid is this kid going to be? You ever asked that about your kid? You should think that. You should ponder that. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even a child is known by his deeds, where the way he does is pure and right. So listen, we need to teach kids to have a proper motive. Spiritual skills, the basics of being a Christian, prayer, reading the Bible, faithful to church, witnessing fellowship with godly people. They need to be raised doing godly things because they are saved and love God, not just because you're dragging them around doing it. Train them to love God. To love what he loves and hate what he hates. Make foundation, the foundation of their lives be Jesus. Teach them how to give and serve. And that ministry is not a talent competition. That ministry and involvement is using what you have and who you are to serve and to learn to serve. It is never about you. Don't let them get a hireling mentality. Sure, I'll do that, but what do I get out of it? Teach them how to worship God, not just at church, but lead a life of worship, even in good or bad times. Teach them to set and keep the banner of righteousness high and do not compromise or let your youth think that compromise is okay. In the first sermon, I mentioned establishing a kingdom culture in your family and home that extends into church. That includes children, children at all stages of their growth that cause them to appreciate and consider themselves as part of the church. That they're not just part of their parents' church. Amen? That they don't think, well, that's just what my parents do. But instead it's like, this is what I do. That they look forward to that. Amen? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Listen, we need to realize that our children are capable far more capable than what society expects out of them. Challenge them to be godly members of our family, our church, our society. And doing that means that we're going to have to make time to be there and be examples for them, to be the first example, the first people they go to instead of someone in the world. They need to be taught to be godly youth and be prepared for life. But here's the thing, mom and dad, you can't do that if that's not you. If you're not saved, you can't teach them to be uh, uh, teach them how to be saved. So the first challenge I have is maybe you're here, you're not right with God. I'm not asking if you have religious knowledge. I really don't care how much religious knowledge you have. Are you living for Jesus tonight? And if not, would you like to give Jesus your life? The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all done wrong. All you have to do is reflect and think about your life as it is now and as it was all your life, if you're not saved. The Bible says there's a payday for that, something you're earning, and that something is hell, and God does not want that. Amen? Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He, made, he died to make sinners save people. He didn't, he didn't want us to be a better class of sinner. He's wanting to make you new. And that only comes by you repenting and giving your life to Jesus, surrendering to Him. That's you. You want to get saved. Maybe you're backslid. You're away from God. You want to come back to Jesus. He loves you. He wants to touch you. But the ball is in your court. That's you. Raise your hand where I could see it very quickly. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody? Children are raising their hand. What about you, adult, young person? Not saved, not right with God. Listen, listen. We're in the end times, y'all. We're in the seconds of the end times, honestly. time than what you have. You don't. Don't sit here and consider and sit on this decision waiting for your life to collapse more than it already has. Choose Jesus today. Come back to Jesus tonight. Quickly, raise your hand where I can see it. Anyone at all. Praise God. Alright. Everyone's saved here then. Glory to God. Then mom, dad, I'm not going to re-preach my sermon. Maybe the Holy Spirit has dealt with you about these things about challenging your teen, about being there for them, about being a godly example, not being a hypocrite, not being fake, but being legitimate, being genuine, about loving them enough to sacrifice your time to give to them, to make it, that it's so important that you will make time for them, to talk with them, be the parent they need you to be. Amen?
Will you accept the challenge to raise godly youth? That should be the goal of every Christian is raise a godly youth that will turn into godly adults that in time, and should Jesus tarry, take their place alongside of us that become the next generation. It is a joy when that happens. It truly, truly is. It's up to you, Mom and Dad. How are you going to raise your youth? Because God has given you, He's entrusted them into your hands, and that is a very, very serious responsibility. Don't shirk it. Amen. This altar's open. Maybe you want to come pray. Maybe you need to seek wisdom. Done it many times. Still do that. Maybe you just want to thank God for what He's done. Amen. Maybe you, you take this time and gather your family together and pray together. Pray with them. Pray for them. Amen.